So here's the good news. If I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, that makes us brothers and sisters, doesn't it? That makes us participants in the fellowship. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But if you're not a child of God, there's good news too. Because John 1.12 says that to all who believed and to all who received, he gave them the right to become children of God. You can become a child of God today as well. This is a good day and I am really excited to be continuing this sermon series, to be uh, continuing our time of worship together. And Last week I launched the series and we read a lengthy passage from the book of Acts. Today I want to read a lengthy passage from uh, 1 John chapter 4. And so I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen behind me necessarily, but if you want to reach under one of the chairs and grab one of those Bibles, you can turn to page 1902. And I'm going to read verses uh, 7 through 21 in 1 John chapter 4. And here's what John was one of the disciples. He also wrote the Gospel of John as well as the letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. So he wrote a fair amount. He's one of the top two or three contributors to the New Testament. And this is coming towards the end and towards the end of his life and the end of his ministry. And he's got a, a manifesto here for God's love and our love. So let's read this together and it'll set the backdrop for our time together today. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that God, that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the good news. That's the gospel. If you put your faith in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, you can be welcomed into the family of God and can receive the benefits of sonship and the benefits of fellowship. And you can live your life for him and experience the righteousness, peace, and joy that is the kingdom of God. This is good news. He continues, though, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Did you catch that? That God's love is made complete in us when we choose to love one another. But he goes on. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We do two things. We know that it exists, that God loves us. We can see that in the person of Jesus Christ coming and paying the penalty for our sin and welcoming us into the family of God. And we rely on that love that God has for us. We rely on it when we, when we exercise our faith by reaching out to other people, by giving sacrificially, by participating. We rely on the love that God has for us when the circumstances of life don't make any sense and we can't see the goodness. We rely on it by faith. We know that he loves us and we rely on his love for us because he is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete in us. Again, he says, made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love that. There's no fear in love. Fear is what causes us to do the things that break down fellowship, that make a mess of our lives. It's fear that causes us to not rely upon God or to doubt his love for us. But there is no fear in love. In fact, his perfect love drives out fear and enables us to live faithfully before him. He concludes, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we're in a series titled Devoted, and we're talking about the things that the early church was devoted to. The earliest believers. We read about in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells them, you're going to receive power from on high. Stay in Jerusalem until that happens, and then he goes up into heaven, and the church is left behind, or the the earliest believers are left behind. Then right there in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and there's tongues of fire, and they're speaking in different languages that other people from faraway places are hearing and understanding the Word of God. And all of this is taking place, and Peter stands up and preaches a sermon. And at the close of that sermon, we're told that about 3,000 people were converted. So the Jerusalem church is a megachurch overnight. It must have been a An amazing sermon, an amazing sermon, and the power of the Holy Spirit in that place. And then we're told certain things about the early church. In Acts 2.42, we're told that they were devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching, which we looked at last week, the fellowship, which we're looking at today, the breaking of bread, or communion, which we'll look at next week, and to prayer, which we'll conclude in the last week of 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 the month, looking at prayer. But if you missed last week's message, you really missed something. If you missed last week's service, you really missed something. And I want to encourage you as we talk about being devoted to the fellowship, to be devoted to being here as often as you can, because we're building some momentum here, and God is doing something here, and it's exciting. And last week we talked about a couple of things, but one of the the big ideas or the bottom line from last week was this idea that the apostles' teaching, because it didn't say that they were devoted to the law and the prophets, which is what good Jewish boys and girls would have been devoted to. It doesn't say that the early believers were devoted to the law and the prophets. It said they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the ones who had been with Jesus. And they were devoted to their teaching, and that teaching was all about embracing the new thing that Jesus brought to the whole world. You see, the old covenant was a covenant between God and the people of Israel. Jesus said, I am bringing a new covenant. In Luke 22, at the Last Supper, he says, I am bringing a new covenant. It's between God and the whole world, not just Israel. And it's a bilateral covenant where I'm going to do things and you're going to receive benefits from those things that I do. And so we talked about this really big idea that we have to keep in mind that Christianity is not Judaism 2.0. It's not the Jewish religion in a new version. It's something totally new. It's brand new. It's a new covenant. Your Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament because the old is older, but also because the new is totally new. And it's not the Old Covenant 2.0. It's a new covenant. Jesus came. It's got new terms. It applies to new people. And we need to be aware that the apostles' teaching was about embracing the new thing that Jesus was doing. And so just as Judaism 2.0 is not the goal of Christianity, you 2.0 is not the goal 
of coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being the new creation that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks about. The goal of our receiving salvation, being welcomed into the family of God, is a totally new creation, not just a slightly improved version of your old self. So with that as the backdrop, today we're going to focus on the fellowship. The fellowship, it says that they were devoted to the fellowship. And I want to read Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47. This is on page 1694. And you're going to see a lot of insights into what this fellowship looked like that they were devoted to in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That sounds like fellowship. They sold their possessions and goods and gave to anyone as he had need. That's definitely fellowship and being devoted to fellowship together. Every day, every day, you mean not just on Sundays? Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's the result. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that's just a, that's just a picture of what this fellowship looked like, what their devotion to this fellowship looked like. And when we're talking about being devoted to fellowship, we better make sure we understand what the word fellowship is. Because if you're anything like me, I grew up in the First United Methodist Church in Newcastle, Wyoming, and we had a fellowship hall. And we had a time of fellowship following the service. And what did we have at the time of fellowship following the service? Coffee and cookies and Kool-Aid and sometimes donuts. And so that's what I thought fellowship was. But if you look up the word fellowship that we translate as fellowship in our New Testament, it's actually a Greek word, koinonia, koinonia. And that word means so much more than cookies and coffee and conversing together. We have a time of fellowship before the service here, and usually there's a time of fellowship after the service. But, but fellowship goes way beyond that. This Greek word that we translate as fellowship means partnership. It means contributory help. Like coming alongside each other with assistance. It means participation with each other. Participation in the mission of God. Sharing in and, and experiencing communion. We also translate this word as community many places in the New Testament. It's a spiritual partnership or a fellowship with the Spirit. That's koinonia. And that's what they were devoted to. They were devoted to koinonia. They were not devoted to coffee and cookies. They did break bread together in each other's homes, and they, I'm sure they shared uh, in food and fellowship and that type of thing, but their fellowship went way beyond that. And if we're going to talk about being devoted to the fellowship, we've got to make sure we understand what we're talking about because this fellowship, this koinonia, was the lifeblood of the early church. It was everything to them. And our modern American expression of church doesn't necessarily encapsulate the fellowship that the early believers practiced with each other and experienced together. Today we talk about going to church on Sunday, right? Well, we're told here they went every day. They had everything in common. They were together in each other's homes. They, they were experiencing a different level of fellowship or a different level of koinonia. In fact, Francis Chan makes the point that, that if you can set aside the organized crime element 
a gang actually has more to do or more in common with the fellowship that the early believers experienced than the fellowship that we experience in the modern American church by and large. Most people go to church on Sunday. Can you imagine a gang member saying, well, I might go to, I might go to gang this week. I might, I might not. No, you're either in or out, right? What I know of gangs is you come into that and, and you only leave by death, essentially. So again, set aside the organized crime component, but imagine the mutuality, imagine the partnership, imagine the having everything in common that you see or understand from a gang. Fellowship was everything. It says they met every day. They didn't go to church. In fact, that word church, I was really intentional last week to not use the word church in referring to the early church because the word church many scholars would say is sort of a mistranslation of the idea of what Jesus was wanting to launch. They, they, they were looking into translating the Bible into English, and they borrowed this German word, kirch, K-I-R-C-H. And, and they said, well, let's use that, where it says ekklesia, this Greek word ekklesia, which really doesn't have anything to do with a location. It doesn't have anything to do with a building. It has everything to do with the people that we're gathering. An ekklesia is a gathering, or it's a called-out assembly, where people would come together with a common purpose. And so, remember when you were in Sunday school classes, and they taught you the little song, and what did the song say? It said, the church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. Wake up. That one's for you. The church is a people. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. That might be the only time I ever sing on stage with a microphone, and you might be glad for that. But it had nothing to do with the building. Jesus said the temple is going away. The temple is old covenant. And he was right. A.D. 70, the temple is torn down to the very foundations, and the foundation stones were rolled down the hill, and the temple was not rebuilt. And what does Paul say about the temple? He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you. And so when we come together and we gather in this building that we call Linwood Wesleyan Church, you're all the temple of the Holy Spirit coming together with your unique manifestation of the Spirit in partnership with each other. And that, my friends, is koinonia. That is fellowship. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it's not necessarily natural, right? Because what's natural? What's natural is to be close and experience the kind of fellowship we're talking about with family and friends. Maybe if you've got a military background or or one of the services, uh, you know, police and firefighters, they experience something along the lines of this type of fellowship together and camaraderie and brotherhood, and that's natural. But the fellowship that we're called to, Francis Chan says, this fellowship isn't supposed to be natural. It's supposed to be supernatural. It's supposed to be the combining and the mingling of people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, all kinds of different careers, different parts of town that you might live in. And we come together as the called out assembly, as the ecclesia of Christ. And we experience fellowship, and partnership, and brotherhood together. That is the fellowship. And that's why I love our vision here at Linwood, to be a family of families, that your family comes, that you as individuals, whether it's a family of one or a family of 12, you come together, and this it becomes a family of families. And each individual brings their unique manifestation of the Spirit of God and contributes that to the fellowship that is 
Linwood Wesleyan Church. And one of our core values really dives into this as well. It's this idea that, that one of our core values is that we care for each other at Linwood. That we really strive to be a church that cares and that expresses tangible tangible communication of that caring for each other. We define this by willingly being the hands and feet of Christ to meet the needs of others, both within our congregation and in the world around us, that that's what it means to care for each other. And if you read your New Testament and you underline or you circle every time that it says one another or each other and it's preceded with a verb, you'll find over a hundred times that we're told as the people of God, as we're devoted to the fellowship, that we would do certain things for one another and to one another. And our mission statement is to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong and to help them grow in their faith. That idea of giving them a place to belong, a, a fellowship where they come in and they feel like, I belong here. And A plus, Linwood, I've met six people, six couples or individuals today that are new. This is their first time walking through those doors. And every single one of them said, this has got to be the most welcoming, friendly church I've ever been a part of. We've walked into churches and milled around and stood in the middle of the lobby and looked around like we didn't know where we were going. Nobody said a word to us. We walked in, sat down, kind of defeated, like, why did we come? Not at Linwood. At Linwood, they get greeted there, they get greeted there, they get greeted there, they get greeted there. I got pulled over into a couple conversations and introduced to new people. I see faces that I have haven't seen there there are people coming to Linwood and they're receiving a warm welcome and we're a plus to you for doing that and for being that and so I want to I want to spend a little bit of time looking at one of the the most common and most powerful images of this fellowship that we're supposed to be devoted to as it's presented in the New Testament Paul preaches or speaks on this in in letters to The Corinthian church, the Ephesian church, the Colossian church, they all refer to this idea of the church as the body of Christ, as the physical body of Christ. I want to look at one passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing because you might be familiar with this or have heard a sermon on this before, but I'll give you kind of the the 30,000-foot view, and then we'll dive into one really powerful thing to understand about the idea of the church as a body. Because here's what Paul says in verses 12 through 14. He says, the body, this body of Christ is a unit made as one. Unit, uni, that's the, the Latin root for one. It's one. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So one body, many parts. Then he gives some examples about how, you know, a hand can't say, well, I'm more important than the eyeball. The eye can't say, I'm more important than the ear. It's just nonsense that the body all benefits from the rest of the body. And if any part of the body is unhealthy, the whole body is going to suffer. He says in verse 24, second half of verse 24, he says, but God has combined all the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it now you are the body of Christ it doesn't say you ought to be it says you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You are a part of the body of Linwood Wesleyan Church. 
And Linwood Wesleyan Church is a part of the body of Christ that is the church in Sioux Falls and in the United States and literally around the world. It's one church that is the body of Christ. Now, it's important that you understand that your part is not and never will be more important than what you're a part of. The part that you play matters, but it's not more important than what you're a part of. That's like saying the hand is more important than the whole body. That's nonsense. The body can live without the hand. The hand cannot live without the body. What you're a part of is more important than the part that you play, but the part that you play matters. And I know that the part that you play matters, but I know that it's not the ultimate part because it's told, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ is the head of the body. This body that we call the church, whether it's Linwood Wesleyan Church or whether it's the Wesleyan Church movement across the nation or it's all Bible-believing Christian faith merged into one and that's the, the church, Christ is the head of that. Christ is the head of that. And our bottom line today is that bodies are better when they stick together. Bodies are better when they stick together. Bear with me for just a second. Andy Stanley has made a very wise observation that there is nothing more unnatural than a body part that has been disconnected from the body, right? Nothing terribly unique or special about my hand, and it probably didn't get a second glance from you. But if I take it off, And set it over here, you won't be able to get your eyes off of it, right? I'm not going to go that far. I like a good sermon illustration, but I am not going to cut my hand off and put it over here. But you know what I'm saying, right? There's nothing more natural than a body part that's been disconnected from the body. It doesn't matter if it's a hand or an ear or an eyeball. It's creepy and it's gross and it's unnatural. And decay is imminent, If I cut my hand off and set it over here, it's not going to smell very good in a day or two, right? Because decay is imminent. And the only way to do that is to put it in a jar full of formaldehyde. Now it's completely useless. And it misses the point. And you are better when this body sticks together. This body is better when this body sticks together. There should be no disconnected parts. There should be no parts that are set aside. There's a really specific process and purpose for doing surgery, so to speak, on the body of Christ. And Paul's really clear. If there's division, if there's some part of the body that is bringing division into the rest of the body, almost like cancer in our bodies, then we'll do a surgery and we'll cut that out. But there's no reason to isolate ourselves from the body. There's no reason to isolate others from the body unless we're following the prescribed manner and method in Scripture. Bodies are better when they stick together. This body will be better when it sticks together. And the overall body of Christ around the world is better and more effective in accomplishing God's mission in this world when we stick together, not when we work against each other, not when we say my way or the highway. Bodies are better when they stick together. So I want to finish as we talk about the body of Christ and we talk about being devoted to the fellowship. I want to finish with fellowship busters and fellowship builders. Fellowship busters first, because I want to end on a positive, and fellowship builders, those things that build up the fellowship. The fellowship busters, I'll give you the first and the worst, right off the bat, gossip. I don't think as a pastor that I've seen anything that's more destructive to the idea of koinonia, true biblical fellowship, than gossip among the people, back and forth. And this is 
often flying under the radar because it disguises itself as, as prayer requests or as, you know, you just don't tell anybody, but I, I think they would want you to know this. And gossip runs and runs and runs and over and over and all the sin lists of the Bible, it's, it's something that Paul despised. It busts up the fellowship. Second is selfishness. Because you're really either here to serve or to be served. And yes, as you come into a new fellowship, you may be broken in need of healing and you may need to experience regeneration in Christ. But there should come a point in time when you say, I'm no longer here just to be served, but I'm here to serve. I'm not here just to consume some Christianity. I'm here to contribute something to the church. So selfishness becomes a fellowship buster. So does dishonesty and slander. They're both rooted in lies. Dishonesty is a general lie. Slander is a lie about somebody else. And so you can see, you know, the couple of these make a pretty good little duo in busting up fellowship. If you've got some gossip and you throw in a little bit of slander and some fear that's driving all of that, you can do a lot of damage to the fellowship. Or how about jealousy and envy? We see people and we, we kind of want what they have. Or we don't just want what they have. We want theirs. It's not just that I want a car like yours. I want your car. I want to have it and you do without. And that breaks up fellowship and it destroys it. But fortunately, the Bible is full of ways that we can build fellowship, ways that if we choose to be devoted to the fellowship, we can build fellowship through our contribution to the church. And I'm going to read a passage from Colossians chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen behind me. This should be getting fairly familiar to you because I've, I've referred to this passage several times in the time that I've been here. But these are, these are, in this short passage, there's about a dozen things that build fellowship up. And they're going to be underlined on the screen behind me. So I'm going to read this and I want you to follow along. Because here's what he says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he's talking to a church, he's talking to the fellowship, he's talking to the koinonia at Colossae, He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those five things are the exact opposite of the list that we were just looking at. He says to bear with each other, which literally means to put up with each other. Sometimes we are a little immature in our faith. Sometimes we're going through a difficult season and we become a little self-absorbed. Put up with each other. Bear with each other. And forgive each other, whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let it have dominion in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. As members of one body, one body, one fellowship of Christ, we're called to peace and be thankful. He actually tells us to be thankful three different ways in these next three verses. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Let it dwell in you. Let it live there, not just visit occasionally. Let it live there with lavish accommodation. That's what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to teach and admonish. What we're doing right now, we're teaching and admonishing one another. There were Sunday school classes before this where people were teaching and admonishing one another. With all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's why we sing in the service. That's why we worship God together, because there's unity being built as we all sing the same songs with the same words. And when you show up and you do this, because you don't know this one, that's why we put the words on the screen, so that you can know this one, and you can participate, and you can build the fellowship. 
And as amazing as they sounded on stage today, what I was caught up by this morning sitting down on that front row was how good it sounded behind me. You guys sounded good today. You were singing loud today. And it blessed my heart. We're blessed when we worship together. It builds fellowship when we do that. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you can't do it in Jesus' name, don't do it. If you can't do it in Jesus' name, don't do it because it might bust up the fellowship. And whatever you do, do it in the name of Christ and that's going to build fellowship. That's going to contribute something to this koinonia that we're after here at Linwood. And so which, which fellowship do you want to be a part of? You want to be a part of list one fellowship where there's all kinds of gossip and selfishness and envy and jealousy and slander and dishonesty? Or do you want to be a part of the Colossians 3, 12 through 17 fellowship that's filled with love and forgiveness and bearing with each other and teaching and worshiping together? Which one do you want to be a part of? I want to be a part of Colossians 3. And so the question then becomes, is a question I've asked before, it's a question I'll ask again, and I hope you begin to ask this question occasionally of yourselves. What if every person that calls Linwood Church their church was just like you? Would that be a good thing? Would that build fellowship at Linwood? Or would Linwood Fellowship go bust if they were just like you? If they showed up as often as you show up, if they served as often as you serve, if they invited other people as often as you invite, if they gave as much as you gave, fill in all the blanks and think, if everybody was just like me, would that be good for Linwood? Or would Linwood falter and struggle? That's a question we should ask ourselves every now and then. And then there's a follow-up question. What if every, what if every person at Linwood was just like Jesus? Just like Jesus is devoted to this fellowship. He gave his life for it. First John chapter 4, we're told that he came and he gave his life for the body of Christ, for us. Not just for the early believers, but for us 2,000 years later, 10,000 miles away. What if everybody here was just like Jesus? What if we were all so focused on growing in Christ and becoming more like Jesus that the church started to look like a whole bunch of people that were just like Jesus, welcoming people in, going out and finding them and bringing them in? You see, I believe that that church would be irresistible. Would be irresistible. We couldn't add services fast enough. We couldn't pack enough chairs in here. And it's not about the size of the church. But he said that I will build my church, my ecclesia. Look it up, Matthew 16. He says, I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. It will grow. It will flourish. It will thrive. It will accomplish my mission in the world. And God's moving at Linwood. I sense it here every single week. Do you? Do you feel that? Do you feel what's happening here? The question is, is it, is it happening within you? And through you? Or is it happening in spite of you? Is, what, is it happening here and what God is doing here? Is it happening within you as well and through you? Or is it happening in spite of you? And that's a question that each of us should take very, very seriously. Because we're told that this church that was devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer that God added to their number daily those who were being saved not those that were coming from other churches, those who were being saved, those who were hearing the good news for the first time, those who were being saved and entering into the family of God. And they could say, I'm no longer a slave of fear. I'm a child of God. 
Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Today, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Tell somebody about what God has done in your life. Invite somebody to church with you. Or show up and bring them. Show up and bring them. Show up a little early so I got time to change and do their hair. And put them in the car and bring them to Linwood. Or bring them to some other church if you think that would be a better opportunity or better place for them to connect to the body of Christ. It's not about Linwood. It's about the mission of God in this world. And that mission has plan A. It's the church. There's no plan B. Today we get to celebrate those who are, who are coming into our fellowship. And it's an exciting time. We're going to baptize three people today, at least three. There's an invitation to you. If you want to come into this fellowship, if you want to come into the body of Christ, then we have sweatpants and we have towels and we got all kinds of stuff backstage. You could change into that and you could be baptized today and you could change back into the clothes you came in or vice versa. It doesn't really matter. We'll work out all the logistics. But if you sense the Spirit of God touching you and saying, this is for you, pay attention, then today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you step in. I remember what it was like for me. I remember sitting in a service, and I remember thinking, oh, I've already been baptized. I don't need to, I can kind of check out here. And yet, God said, no, 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 don't do that. Pay attention. And I realized that, yes, I was baptized as a young child. And several of the people that we're baptizing today were baptized as young children by an act of faith and devotion and dedication of their parents. But there came a point in time in their lives when Jesus became real to them personally, and they wanted to make a public profession of their faith in Christ. They wanted to follow the example that Jesus set. That He was brought to the temple and dedicated as an infant. We read about that in Matthew chapter 2. He then, in Matthew chapter 3, gets baptized by, the, by, by John the Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist. He just baptized people. So we call him John the Baptist. And Jesus was baptized. And before he did anything for God, I love this, Matthew chapter 3, before Jesus did anything for God, before he healed anyone, before he preached a sermon, before anything happened, he was baptized. As he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven that said, This is my Son whom I love. In him I am well Please, not because of anything he had done, because he was a child of God. And the same is true for everyone who steps forward and makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and says, this is for me. I am a child of God. I'm going to follow Christ in baptism. And I want everybody to know about it. And so if that's you today, then, then it's real simple. The only requirement for baptism is that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and pledge to follow him for the rest of your life. If that's you and today's the day, then Pastor Zach will meet you back by these two doors right here and he'll have a short conversation to answer any questions that you may have and then today can be the day that you're baptized. For those that are already planning to be baptized, they're going to make their way back there. We'll start with them. If there are some more, great. If there's not, that's okay. But today can be a day where you step forward. And you make that public profession of faith. And I just got to share something with you. This is February 10th, 2019. February 10th, 2018 was the first time I walked through those doors and prayed in this sanctuary. It was my candidating weekend. And the next morning I was going to preach before you. And then you were going to vote on whether or not you thought God was calling me to this place. 
And I walked up and down every aisle, and I touched every chair, and I paused by that baptistry, and I prayed, God, I pray that this baptistry is going to be filled over and over and over, and that many people will come to faith in Christ and make a public profession of their faith in Christ. And I've prayed at least once every single week since then. And then a couple of months ago, in December, we baptized seven students and one adult. Today we're baptizing at least three more adults. And I can't tell you the joy that I feel and the excitement that I feel for what lies ahead at Linwood. The best is yet to come. And so as we consider being devoted to this fellowship, I want to encourage you to respond in faith. You can do that a number of different ways. You can come to an altar. If you come to these center two altars, We'll just assume that you want to pray alone. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, you can come to either side. And a pastor or a member of the prayer team will come and put a hand on your shoulder and just pray over you. or Pray with you if you want that. If you'd like to roll up a prayer request, there's a little shelf over here and there's a cross. And you can write out a prayer request and you can roll that up and you can stick it onto that cross. And know that, that every time I walk by there, I'm going to put my hand on there and pray for, over those prayer requests. And that others are doing the same thing. However you choose to respond, maybe you stay right where you are and you respond and you do business with God and you pray or make a commitment, however you choose to respond. My only prayer, and I pray it every single week, is that you would respond in faith to what God has said to you today from his word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is so good to be here today. It is so good to worship you and to be in relationship with you. It's so good to be a part of a fellowship We pray, God, that you will build fellowship at Linwood, that you will build koinonia here, and that we will be willing participants, that we will have fellowship not only with each other, but fellowship with you as we seek to accomplish your purposes in this world, that this fellowship would grow and that it would be effective in the mission that you've given it to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong, and to help them grow in their faith. God, we Thank you and praise you for those who have taken the bold step forward to, to publicly proclaim their faith in you. I, I pray for the one or two or three or more that, that may be sensing that nudge and something's holding them back. Lord, pray that your spirit would lead them over and that they would respond in faith to you. And as we worship you, Lord, as we celebrate the new life that we have in Christ, may it all be in your power and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.